it's not all that glamorous. It's not all that fun. And even being on set is hard work. It's really hard work. And yeah, I did scenes with George Clooney and people like that. But when you're on a set, it's like being in the trenches. It's hard work. It's not this glamorous love scenario, fairy tale. Equipment's in your face and you have to hit marks and you need to show up and know what you're doing and be able to duplicate it. This is Professional Confessionals. Actress Liz Kiefer joins us to talk about her career. She appeared on the TV soap opera The Guiding Light for 17 years in addition to numerous TV shows and films. Tell us about your professional journey. At what point did you know you wanted to be an actress and where did you go to school? Give us the, the, right. the foundations. Well, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I have to say that I didn't have that far of a journey. <laughs> I give so much kudos to the you know, the kids who are in middle America and they, they take that flight to Los Angeles and they don't know anybody and they didn't, you know, ready to show up. So I had the benefit of living in Southern California. So it was it was accessible. It was there. That it didn't feel like it was oh across the country, and I had to I had to go knock on so many doors. And, and I went to school with kids of professionals and actors, and so it, there was a consciousness there that oh people can do this. So I have to preface with that. At the same time, I pursued theater in. Gee, starting in elementary school all the way through. And that's when I found my roots, my, uh, I call it my shoes. I, 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 could, I could stand in my Liz shoes now. I didn't know who I was before that. And then suddenly, oh, this is, this is where I come alive. And I did all through junior high. I did the typical, always musicals. I love musicals, singing and dancing. It's so joyful. And I did start going out on acting calls when I was in high school, actually. And I have a couple of those stories that just are too good to be true. Like, where I broke all the rules. Like, my first agent was a commercial agent. I got into the union through commercials first, where I was with a friend of mine who was meeting with the agents, and I was sitting in the green room. <laughs> and well my, then. my friend was not picked up by the agency, but they wanted to know, who's your friend? You know, and he, this was an older guy. It was an older um, man. It, it was just a friend of mine. But it's, it's just kind of funny. <laughs> so I was one of those. We'd like to talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I had a little bit of an experience with that. It, but it didn't go anywhere because I was 15, I was 16. And I could look like I was 16 or 26. I sort of had this ethereal, timeless look. Um, but the problem is if, if you're that close to 18 and you, you kind of have to look like you're 12 years old in the, in the television and film world <laughs> um, because there's a lot of rules. It's really difficult to, uh, for child actors. They're, they're, they would much prefer to hire an 18-year-old that can look 15. Um, which is what happened once I turned 18. I worked all the time. But I did have a couple of years in high school where I, I attempted it, and I just was on the edge, and it didn't work out. And I kind of regret it, to tell you the truth. Re- regret putting yourself out there yeah. at that time? Yeah. I gave up a lot of childhood freedoms and uh, loves and joys. I remember my high school graduation. I had to leave the second that they finished their ceremony because I had a Diet Coke callback. And I didn't, I didn't get to go out to dinner with my parents or my friends and all those things. And of course, and I didn't get the, the commercial either. <laughs> I suppose if I had gotten it, I might be singing a different tune. <laughs> that, that might be a different story, yeah. <laughs> but, but I look back to it and I actually have resentment about Mm. that. Like, what was I doing? Why did I do that? Please. But I I did what I thought I should be doing at the time. I I have to say, I'm uh, that rush to get in there. uh, Now I'm like, "Eh, mm, mm, mm." (laughs) I probably would have been better off going to a party. (laughs) But anyway, that sort of followed me my whole 
career. I went to UCLA and a couple of years or a year and a half into it, I was cast as I was working. I started working. Like I said, the second I turned 18, Mm -hmm. I was doing commercials like crazy. And then my very first theatrical job was on Lou Grant. It was Lou Grant and then it was Happy Days. It was one right after another. I think I did both of them in the same month. And I was going to UCLA. I was working as a waitress at night and a theater uh, uh, usher as well. I remember at the Westwood Playhouse. And I heard that they were casting for uh, an 18-year-old blonde for Hill Street Blues. That's what I heard. And another waiter said, you should submit yourself for that. And I said, but I don't have an agent. I I have a commercial agent, but I don't have a theatrical agent. And he's like, well, they're casting over at MTM. Just look it up. Look up the address. Send it in. Who, who, you know, why not? And I thought, why not? And I literally sent my picture and resume in with my home phone number saying, I'm seeking, I'm presently seeking representation. Um, Heard you were looking for an 18-year-old blonde. What do you think? (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, it's little things. It, it just turned out that the casting director, it was her, she was a mother-daughter team, and she was it was her first project that she was given to cast solely by herself. And she had that, I'm going to pay it forward attitude. She saw my picture come by her desk, and she said, wow, um, you know, I'm doing my, I've been given my first opportunity. I'm going to call this girl in. And it was one of those, another one of those stories, like, that doesn't happen. I mean, my home phone number, right? Right, yeah. And then I go and I meet with George Stanford Brown, who's the director of this particular episode. And the irony was, while I was going to UCLA and doing those two jobs, I was also going to an acting school, a professional acting school at night. I don't know when I had time for any of this, I, 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 which is why I en- ended up not finishing UCLA. <laughs> and it was called um, Academy of Stage and Cinema Arts. And I was studying with Carmen Zapata at the time. And uh, she was a wonderful st- uh, film and stage actress. And George Stamper Brown was friends with her. And he saw my resume. And he said, I see you're studying with Carmen Zapata. Well... If you take this script to her, you can have the part. What? And he cast me on the spot. Because I didn't even have an agent for you to call. And, you know, <laughs> and that's from, an amazing story. It's an amazing story. And from there, I then got a list of all the SAG agents and my picture and resume and did the old, you know, cold mailing, everything. and But with a little note saying... I'm, I, I'm, I've been cast and I'm, and I'm uh, filming an, uh, an episode of Lou Grant next week and I'm seeking representation. I mean, I literally was basically. And, and what did that yield? Did you, I mean, obviously you got picked up. I did. I got, I got an agent immediately because what a, what a joke. So I, I, I have these fairy tale stories, but I'm a big believer in, um, I just didn't put any bad juju on it. I mean, I really believed, why not? I just decided I wasn't going to listen to any of the stories. Granted, this was 30 years ago, and it was different. It was easier. I feel like it was easier. There was, it was just, uh, it wasn't as much pressure as there is today. And the rules, there seemed to be an awful lot of rules today. But at the same time, it was lovely that that innocence, that that beginner mind, like oh, what does it matter? I just it was it was very enticing. Obviously, it was very attractive because casting people loved it. I just, <laughs> so I learned something from it. Uh, but anyway, I I started that way, the cart before the horse a, a, a bit because then I was like, I I really need to get some good training here because like. I'm on sets now, and I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. Um, so I, I continued, and I worked with some really amazing people through the Academy of Stage and Cinema Arts, which no longer exists, unfortunately, because it was just a wonderful school. Jack Lemon used to come and speak to us, and his son was training there at the same time. And, oh, it's just wonderful. I learned on the spot. I was thrown onto a set at a very early age, and I have to say, I, I really did. I learned 
by doing. Sure. And by much. and by watching everything going on around you as well from the other actors and how oh, yeah. they interact oh. with the directors and, you know, everything like that. Absolutely. Right. Always look at the leading the leading male or female or whoever to to see how they're the tone. They set the tone. How they speak to the crew, how they speak to the directors. It's really good to I, I learned that early on. You can energetically get the temperature of how a set's going to go because it's it varies. Sure. Sometimes sure. it's I not mean, so, so nice. That's what I was about to say. Sometimes they can be setting a good example, but at other times, maybe not so much. Yeah. Yeah. I have extremely good examples with a lot of the sitcoms I did. Seriously, like Full House and like those those guys were so nice. I, happy days. Henry Winkler was just uh, so fantastic and cheers and all that. And I have some not nice stories, but that I, I won't talk about because what's yeah, the why, point? Why? But I, but I, you really can tell a lot about the show by how it's led mm-hmm. with the actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for kids growing up that watch sitcoms, I mean, I guess they still watch sitcoms. Is it as much fun as it looks? Yes. <laughs> because it, for those not in the business, I'm sure it looks like a big party. It's it's just the best, I have to say. Those were my favorite weeks. I mean, I would give anything to have been on one consistently over and over again. But I made a, a, several years of just being the girlfriend. I was everybody's girlfriend. Every, <laughs> Johnny Depp, George Clooney, Woody Harrelson. I was just everybody's girlfriend at some point. But it's so much fun because it's theater that they film. That really, that's how I see it. And eventually that's what soap operas became for me as well. So you, you start with a table read at the beginning of the week. And that's when the writers will listen to their words for the first time. And you'll get rewrites every single day leading up to the performance. When I did Married with Children, they literally gave us a, a rewrite in between shows. You do a every day. It just as the week progresses, it gets. Um, you do a dry rehearsal first, which is just going and learning your blocking and kind of sorting out the, the arc of the scenes, and then then you'll get a camera blocking. Now you're going to do it in front of the cameras, and so we got to see what angles we have to be at and make sure we're facing out when we need to face out, etc. And then there'll be a dress rehearsal and you'll get notes and they'll rewrite it. And by Friday, they have a performance in the afternoon, maybe around four. And then they'll have another one at at eight at night. And between the two of them, these were in front of a live audience. Between two performances, they would edit together the best of everything. And when I did Married with Children... They decided to change an entire scene when I was working with Peg Bundy. You're sitting in a, uh, what's it called? Oh, under a hair dryer? <laughs> under a hair dryer, yeah. And she was cutting my hair thinking I was having an affair with Al Bundy. It was a very silly show. Um, <laughs> and I was flipping through a magazine, but what I was really doing was holding up a script and showing her, she we were literally reading this almost cold <laughs> for the for the actual take that they used uh, for the thing. And I, my my hand was following my line, then her line, because she was over my shoulder reading the script. That's it was fabulous. Very funny. Yeah, that's yeah. Fabulous. I had no idea that they that that's how they did the the sitcoms, two filmings that then get edited together. That's what, how they do it for when they have a live audience Mm -hmm. and three cameras that's Mm -hmm. like the whole i love lucy setup is that so they can reposition the cameras in between or i mean if they have three why can't they run through it once they want another take just as a safety oh yeah it's 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 just uh, sometimes they make changes and 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 it's the best the best of performances Mm -hmm. what's you know what's because this way you have where's the funny yeah Mm. yeah did your parents have any strong opinion about what field you should pursue or was that? Uh, my parents were really great. I have to say they were very supportive and they were older parents and I think wiser because my father eventually got to the place of, are you happy? I just, I just want to hear that you're happy. 
and he let go of the control over what he thought happy should look like, I was very fortunate, I have to say. So I didn't quite have that. They were also of a generation where they thought, well, she'll probably just do this till she gets married. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I definitely um, threw them. (laughs) 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 I kept changing those rules. But so, yeah, I was lucky. I was lucky that way. But I also worked at an early age and I was really fortunate. I was able to make a living. And then I went through long periods where I didn't. That, and that's hard, too, because, you know, you've worked and then suddenly you don't work. It's a pendulum. You have to understand the mindset, where to stay in the middle <laughs> and how to keep focused and structured in an unstructured world. Right. Because that's one of the biggest struggles for actors is yeah. it's feast or famine. Yeah. And so sometimes you're working and then sometimes... And then you, you don't. Know, There's no guarantees. Yeah. You you have to be your own guarantee. Mm-hmm. It's it's an amazing life of learning about resilience. And I mean, I have a, a pretty good take on it now, but I can't. It's all in hindsight. I really went through some rough times in my 20s. And what saved me, ironically, you know what saved me? Because, because I, I couldn't handle the, oh, whenever I wouldn't get a part... It was usually because of something I couldn't control. You know, my height, my mm. age, my whatever. What I, it was some, some physical thing that was out of my right. control. And uh, I got into martial arts. And I got, and, and I was in, this is in the 80s. No, women were very rarely. There's only a couple of us in the dojo. But I got into martial arts and suddenly it was, whoa. I can learn this and I loved it and I was good with it and I could test for the different belts and if I passed the test I actually could go on to the next belt like they couldn't say well sorry you're the wrong age your hair is too curly we're not going to give that to you it was amazing I I didn't realize how much I needed that I needed just to have something that was um, mine and I if I earned it I really did earn it and it wasn't so subjective you know (laughs) it's just it's a terrible thing when you have no control and I learned about that right Um, it was something that you could wholly control how much effort how much yeah and if I earned the belt I I was awarded the belt Mm -hmm. that was huge it's almost like relying on yourself and being in control of what you can actually affect right. and kind of right. letting the things that you can't control, you know, putting right. that down a little bit. I, now I call it staying in my business because mm-hmm. I have a, <laughs> I have theories about this. Brian Cranston came, has a video out there for actors that every actor should look at. And it's about, it's just a two minute video. You just mm-hmm. have to Google him. And he talked about how he, His life changed and he started working constantly when he changed his mindset. It is basically this, what I came to as well, the staying in your business. And that is your job is to just go in and do what you do. Be who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. That's the biggest. Do not try to duplicate, compare, whatever. Do what you do because that's really what they want to see. And then let it go. And it's not your business if they use you or not. Your business is being prepared, do your homework, show up, and be fully you. And I learned that the hard way because I can be very much a good soldier where I don't want to rock the boat and I want to follow the rules and I want to make sure that I'm doing it right. So I'm kind of a people pleaser when it comes to that. And I had a job on General Hospital where I played a nun, (laughs) a crazy nun, because why wouldn't you? And I was on it for about a year. And then every 13 weeks, your contract can be renewed or they, or they can just not renew it. That's like, you're signed to them for like seven years, but they can drop you every Mm. 13 weeks. That's, that's basically the the business (laughs) in a nutshell. And I was let go after a year. And I learned so much about it. And I know why I was let go, because I probably would have let go of myself had I been the producer on that show. Because I was so worried about what they wanted and what I thought they thought what a nun should be, 
that I showed up a, a very small version of myself. I really did not do myself any service. I morphed into what I thought they wanted. And, and it, this feeling of they know what they want and I have to be it. I ended up just whining a lot and being kind of a boring character. And I didn't tap into my intuition and any of my deep gifts. And, and I was young too, so I really didn't know how to tap into it authentically. But when they let me go or fired me, <laughs> I still had six weeks to go. And so I still had to show up and do, do the scenes. But at this point, I'm like, wow, <laughs> what do I have to lose? I'm already fired. I mean, geez Louise. So I just started doing what I wanted and what my instincts told me to do. And maybe this is what this nun is. <laughs> and I remember the executive, produ executive producer came down after one of the shooting set of scenes. And he's like, where's this girl been? And I went, mm, yeah. And too late, they already <laughs> had already decided to nix the storyline. So I learned so much. And from that point on, any major part I had in my life that I did eventually get, like mm -hmm. I, that happened for Guiding Light and it happened for, mm, I remember doing the, a film called The Click and that kind of thing. It was always when I went in there and I did the Brian Cranston. I said, this is what I do. This is how I'll do it. Let me share it with you. And here you go. Thanks. It was just a different kind of authority because I certainly was open to direction. But at the same time, I was going to do it uh, filtered through my power, my gifts, my and I wasn't trying to be what I thought that they wanted me to be. So that's why I say staying in your business. I stayed in my own business. I stayed out of what I think that they're going to want because I can't control that. It was just an amazing life lesson. So I mean, that's one of the first things I do with clients that I work with mm -hmm. coaching wise. It's like yeah. we learn what, what's, what's your business? What, what is my business? What is your business? What's, what's the, you know, mother nature's business. <laughs> I often he hear that failure can be very instructive. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> it's something that's touted as yeah. a necessary thing that people no. have to go through in order to reach their full potential. That story was such a concrete example it unleashed all those inner resources that I never would have tapped into had I not had that aha. And yeah, I had to do, that was a big deal. I had just bought a house. That's the thing about the acting business. It's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it can happen like that. Of course, it can happen like that anywhere. But but it is less stable than other occupations. Absolutely. Obviously, it's, you know, it's hit or miss. It's, yeah. it's the arts. And I guess yeah. in general, that's what you have to yeah, do. Yeah, you, you see, you must follow it if it lights you up and makes you feel alive. And then you just find a way to stay sane in it, I guess. I have found ways. But I've also taken significance off of what it is that I define as success, too. You know. Sure. You're defining it for yourself as opposed yeah. to living up to other people's view yeah. of that. Yeah. Any myths you'd like to dispel with regards to the whole acting business? You know, it's interesting. I, I guess maybe the people think it's such a glamorous business because they see the little, the symptoms of it, the perks, maybe the red carpet events, and which, yes, that stuff's fun. But that's not the meat and potatoes of it and doesn't really mean anything. And it's not all that glamorous. It's not all that fun. And even being on set, it's hard work. It's really hard work. And yeah, I did scenes with George Clooney and people like that. But when you're on a set, it's like being in the trenches. It's hard work. It's not, it's not this glamorous love scenario, fairy tale equipment's in your face and you have to hit marks and you need to show up and know what you're doing and be able to duplicate it. It's very different from stage. Um, it requires a different, a different muscle when it comes to continuity. I mean, it's still the same acting. Acting is acting, but it just requires just the mechanics of learning how to work with camera cameras and, and equipment in front of you. And it's a little more intimate. I have a friend of mine, his name is Michael Parks. He was on As the World Turns. And 
and he does a lot of Broadway. And he gave a great description of film acting versus stage acting. And he said, stage acting is like Thanksgiving dinner with your family with huge table and you got everything going. And film acting is like at a breakfast table with your mom. It's a different kind of intimacy because the audience only sees what the camera sees. And as opposed to being on stage, everything's out there. So it sounds like one is in public and the other is private. Definitely. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I love them both. And I transition back and forth. I, I think that's a myth. Stage actors can't be film actors and well, a lot film of stage actors, actors have a really hard time uh, making the transition to that's just a film mindset. and TV. I find that to be just a mindset. All you have to do is speak to the length of the person who you're, you're speaking to. You just have to bring it in. Instead of trying to speak to the end of the hall, you just speak to the person. And so you would just naturally not yell at somebody who's right in front of you. It's just being alive. That's all it is. <laughs> For me... Yeah. And and um it's still the mechanics is are still the, the your intentions, your emotions, everything is. But film acting definitely when you comes to a close up, you know, you are it's it's like taking the same amount of energy but sitting on it. But it's the same amount of fire. You're just you're sort of you just contained it a little more and um if anything it, it feels even more I don't know, fiery. I don't. Know. I don't know if that's the right word. It's like more like directed. More. Yeah, I don't it's know, more focused. Maybe, focused. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, one description that I've heard about the difference is in theater acting, you show, and for film and TV, you just are. You just be. Yes. Well, that, that's true. Yes. Your theater of cameras will pick up just a thought that goes through your eyes, mm-hmm. but. At the same time in stage acting, I never consider acting to be showing anything. I always consider it to be being. It's just that version of being. Mm-hmm. A, a bigger version. A bigger version. Yeah. You just, yeah. yes, you do have to uh, physicalize in a broader manner in some circumstances so the audience can see it. So I'd be remiss if I didn't touch upon the whole Me Too movement since it's yeah. kind of, yeah. but like what advice would you have for young people going into the business to kind of try to avoid any thing like that? Yeah. Yeah. Be who you are. Be, 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 stand in your shoes, show up. Did I encounter it? Yes. Did it? I have to say there was a part of me that just didn't allow it. <laughs> just because of, I did, I did have to stand up for myself, but I knew who I was always, and I always understood where my boundaries were. And there's something about that. When you know what is what is in your integrity and what's not in your integrity, um, I think it reads to people, and they'll know, I, I don't think I can get away with this. Not that I'm saying that anybody that this has happened to has asked for it or in any manner. Right, right. What's, yeah. Whatsoever. I mean, I absolutely had to say no. There wasn't even a question. There was just like, this is not going to happen. And I don't even care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's just me knowing myself. And it's just funny. The minute I knew that really well, it didn't come into my, yeah, my orbit. Um, I was lucky that way. There's a lot of great people in this business. I guess I'm, I focus more on looking for the great people. Yeah, there's going to be those people, but... I I really have an intention. I set an intention to work with people who are like minded, mm-hmm. and I believe that you can do that. I'm I'm very spiritual in this matter, mm-hmm. that you can decide how you want to feel on a set. And I make I used to make lists of this is how I want to feel when I walk into a set. I want to feel like I'm coming into family, and we're laughing, and I'm valued, and we're all working together to tell a story, and it's meaningful and. It's amazing that if you just sit and write down a list of values of how you want to feel for this fu- this unknown future, and then just, okay, let it go, mm-hmm. you'll turn around one day and you go, wow, look at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm working yeah. with these great people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am a big believer in, in looking, looking for what's right, because the business, you'll find a lot that's wrong. You don't want to spend your time focusing on that. I just don't want to feed it. 
you know, then I went on to a soap for 17 years. So I had a family. I found it. So I, I did have a home where I could I could go there. And I learned a lot on that, too, you know, because that eventually went off the air. And I had to figure out, what's my identity? <laughs> and that's a very unusual thing to have, such a long-term the bear, yeah. uh, gig yeah. in this field. Yeah. And they don't exist anymore. In the 80s and 90s, it was a factory. It was there was a job always. So I feel bad for kids starting out that they didn't, they don't have that same platform yet. You know, there's new ones popping up all left and right. Sure. I mean, now you can audition from home. Didn't have that with me. <laughs> right. You can, you can audition yeah. from your living room and you can, you can be seen all over the world. That, that's a completely different world. That's you can create your own programming. Right. You can create your own programming. Yeah. I mean, the, it's a wild west when it comes to that. So in a way, all those opportunities I was talking about earlier where it was, yeah, an agent found me sitting in a waiting room and yeah, I, you know, I got my first job without an ag- without a theatrical agent. I think those opportunities are open for people today. They'll show up differently, but um, it's still there. Right. The opportunities haven't contracted. No. It, it's, it's, it's expansive yeah. still. Yeah. Yes. But it's, it's changed. In fact, I think there's probably more opportunity because there, there's so much production being produced in so many ways that it would seem to me actors would be in tremendous demand. Absolutely. I also think that kids now are learning to open their bag of tricks. Like not, you don't have to be just a one trick pony. I, I think it's now much more acceptable to be an actor, producer, writer, director. And that's fantastic. And that's what I suggest to young people. Mm-hmm. Don't throw all your eggs in one basket. There's too many wonderful new modalities that are popping up and you, you just never know. So be be prepared for that. And, and even, you know, when I was younger, I was just so focused. That's all I was going to do. I act, 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 act. And I still... Now, I do look back, go, why was I so panicked about it all, needing to do it? I, I, I mean, what was wrong was with going off and taking six months off and hiking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I really wish I had done a lot of that. Perhaps knowing how difficult it was to achieve success in that field, maybe it made you all the time to yes I was very disciplined I, I absolutely every single day I moved towards something that would help me in my career I never let a day go by whether it was keep singing or going to a dance class or reading or getting my even mental health just getting your mindset um, together but I guess in terms of um, learning other things and being open to other joys and wants. I I wish I had followed that other directions at the same time. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking, you have to just do this. And it's like, "Mm, no, there's time for all of it. So actors famously are known to have all these survival jobs. Did you have any that you'd like to? A survival job? Oh, I had some good ones. But see, this is what I did. I always made sure that it had something to do with what I love. Like when I was an usher, at the theater, and I would be watching Gershwin reviews every single night and wonderful plays. And then I worked as a secretary at a video editing company where it was Jan Natarno's videos, <laughs> um, and it was just creating actor uh, demo reels. And I watched this wonderful editor work every single day producing videos, and I developed a huge love for editing out of that. And I'm, I'm quite good, actually. When I was on Guiding Light, I, I used to help my fellow castmates come up with every year for the Emmys. You, If you're nominated, you present two or three shows you get to pick. And I had such a good eye for that flow of giving them everything. You do some series and then put comedy next to it and this and blah, 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 blah. And Often the folks that I chose, I helped to pick their Emmy reels, you know, they would win. So, but so, yeah, I always gravitated towards something I wanted to do. 
it was very difficult to, I mean, I worked at a restaurant. Yeah, I was a waitress. I did all that. I worked at the Gap. I, I did all that. It was so much more interesting doing something that I had a passion for. So it sounds like good advice for someone who's setting out on this path to try to find those survival jobs somehow related. To oh, yeah. I think so. Or or whatever's related to your passion. I think anything that makes you come alive and expand, like you get an expansive feeling, is worthy of your time. Absolutely anything. Even if needlepoint, okay, go do it. You know, if that's what calms you down. That might be the one thing that you end up on a film set and it's the one thing that gets you through the day without going crazy. Like you never know where it's going. It's it's listening to your body and and every actor needs to have a good relationship with their body to know when something's contracting and saying, "Ooh, this isn't right." Or when it's just expansive and, and it's like playing hot and cold when you're a kid, you know, you're getting warmer, you're warmer. You just, you just got to follow that rule and stay in your own business. And then that's it. That's my equation. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that a major obstacle that you had to overcome that led you to something else. Oh, okay. Here, I'll try to do this in a nutshell. This is how I got into life coaching. During Guiding Light, I was under contract and I had been under contract for 12 years And then the last five years of the show, they started taking people off contract that had been veteran people that were basically making too much money. And they were like, you know, we're going to take you off contract. And which means they don't guarantee you the amount of shows per week that you would normally get. They'll use you, but you may not work for three weeks or you may work only once or, or whatever. There's no guarantee. So I was taken off contract. And I was one of the first of the veterans. And so I panicked. I became very small. I became very scared. And I, I went back into, oh, I better be what they need me to be. Right? I went back into that. And then I got angry. <laughs> I'm trying to get this and trying to make this short. I got angry at one point And I went, this isn't right. I don't like how I'm feeling. This is just wrong. I'm walking through the studio feeling like I'm dirt and I'm diseased and like, this is terrible. And I kind of played a little game. I was like, wouldn't it be nice if I just had a film waiting for me? And I had my own dressing room. That was a big deal. When you're off contract, you get, you no longer have your own dressing room. That was a big blow to the ego. And (laughs) this is is obviously not a, a serious issue. So anyway, I played this little game. I imagined that I had a secret that I had my own, that I had a film waiting for me a year from now in Europe. And I couldn't tell anybody. And it was just my game because I was like, gosh, I like, I like that list. I found my power again. So I kind of played this. I just played around with this mindset. And I just made a decision to walk into the studio every day as if that was happening. And it's an acting exercise. Mm-hmm. It's like my little secret. I'm just going to have that. And it just affected my behavior and it affected how my everything about me. You know, when you walk into a room and you light it up, Well, that's because you're feeling good, right? And so I gave myself what I wanted, what I was trying to get from from the producers. And then it totally turned around. Like, without even saying a word, eventually, energetically, it came back to, oh, wait a second, you know. (laughs) Here, here's your dressing room. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, you're a big, yeah, we're right for you. You're all over the place here. You want a contract? That's great. (laughs) It's... I just found it to be really interesting. So I learned a lot there that um, that was just the power of my mind. I just told myself a different story. Who would I be if I had this? If, if I wasn't desperately being a victim to this, you know, the story, I, I thought that I gave them all this power. Like they don't want me. And it was all about them. So I was in their business. So I went back into my business and, and I realized by the time the show actually went off the air, I was fine because I no longer was was tethered to it in that way where it was my identity. Mm-hmm. Now it was just a privilege to be able to go to it, but it wasn't a make or break thing for me. And that's what led me to wanting to mentor and coach people because I, I survived like the Titanic 
basically, because that was a sinking ship. And you either were going to, your life was going to be destroyed from it, or you were going to pick yourself up and what are you going to learn and move on. But I realized that um, I really enjoyed helping, helping people understand how they can transform their lives through really the story they're telling you. And it's the same way an actor creates a reality. Mm-hmm. You know, an actor creates a character. They just decide, who would I be if this? And they step into it and, and then they start responding to it and it becomes this shadow reality. I hope that's not too confusing. No, no, um, no. It's huge. So once again, I wasn't fired. I was kind of fired. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was, I was, my status shifted and it was just the strangest thing because it was like, no, you're still on the show, but not like how you used to be on the show. And I had to find my own, that, that did it again. It's like I had to find my power and then my inner resources and I had to come back and become this person that I knew lived somewhere in there. It, it just, that self-doubt had taken over. Um, so once again, being fired was a huge blessing. I it became a huge strength. And that's the basis of my coaching practice now. I work with people really looking at your thoughts and how it affects you. And it's, it's just an acting exercise. Those obstacles come into our life for a reason. What are you going to learn from them? And move forward. So, yeah. And whether or not there's, I mean, there's the possibility of growth in them for you, but sometimes you don't really see the possibility or see that. that At the time, it, it really was, I was crying in my car every time I got to the studio. I was just so upset. And so, and I was worried. I had young kids. I was panicked. And, that's just a terrible spiral to go down and your feeling of self-worth. It's just, it's just so toxic. And I finally, I couldn't live like that any longer. And, and I didn't want to be that person. So once again, it just, I stopped caring what anybody else thought. That's the huge thing in my life. I just stopped caring what, what, I don't care what they want anymore. I'm just going to go back to being me and do what I do and pretend I have that film waiting for me that Ron Howard is directing. (laughs) (laughs) And I won't be surprised if that happens one day too, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) I know he has no idea what a huge role he has in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see. In a general way, with regards to the acting and the life coaching, what message would you give to young people trying to find their way in either, really? Because, I mean, that's... I think you really have to listen to your body. I, I, I'm a big believer in that. I, both my kids just did the college process, and my biggest deal with them was, how do you want to feel when you walk onto a campus? I, I don't want to know about the qualification. I don't want to know any of it. Tell me how you want to feel. What is it? And and each one of them had a completely different expression of, you know, like my son wanted to feel secure and happy and safe. And he likes structure, right? And structured. And my daughter, don't tell her what to do. She wanted independence and creativity. They, They went to wildly different schools. I think really close your eyes and make a list of qualities of how you want to feel before you look at the schools and what the school can give you and all that stuff. It's really important to know who you are and what's important. Some want, I want a challenge, you know, I want it to be super challenged and disciplined. And some people want it to be, I just want to feel supported. And some people just, I want to go and feel creative and like, nope, you know, I can do anything. I don't know if that's specific enough for you, but I think it's so important to know that first and then go about looking at your schools of, you know, what they have to offer. I think you can co-create, you can bring it into your reality and even going with jobs or whatever it is, instead of 
being so worried about what it is that they need and I have to be for them. Know what you want to be for you first. Right. And, and, and what you want from the experience, yeah. whether it's a college or a job, it's like... It's important for you to know. Yeah. You need to know whether or not, if you're being interviewed, is this a good fit for you? Uh, yeah. As much as are, you know, worrying about, am I a good fit for them? You know, do they want me? You know, am I okay? Kind of thing. It's, it's, there's such an imbalance in a lot of the thinking and you can easily it's, get uh, it's swept up in the machine. It's fear-based. It's all yeah. like, I better be what they need me to be. Otherwise, <gasps> you know, I won't, I won't have, there won't be a space for me. And I, I can blast that out of the water. What you need to be is you. And then that space opens up big time because that's what schools or employers want to see. It's funny. Actors do this a lot. They think that the casting person knows exactly what they want. And I better be that. I better figure that out and be that and walk into the room for them. And it's not true. What they, they're sitting there waiting for you to come in and show them what it is you do. And then they go, Oh, that's it. They have a, an, an idea perhaps, but, yeah, they, but they haven't like, they're waiting for it to walk into the door. Right. So yeah. that's your job. Yeah. So you need to know what you bring to the table and first. And the right schools or employers will respond to it. And you don't want to be where you don't match anyway. Right. You know, I call it a vibrational match. You don't want to be in a place that's right. not, doesn't want you how you are. It doesn't always work out. It's, it can be, you know, a lot of stress and unhappiness there. So I, I say figure that out first. But it, it takes a lot of courage to do that because you have to let go of being in the other person's business, thinking about what it is that they want first. It's information, really, this idea of listening to your body. That's information that many of us really haven't received necessarily. And plenty of us kind of try to run away from that. Right. Oh, I feel uncomfortable, so let me, and then pick your poison. You know, oh, right, whether right, it's, right. I'm going to eat, I'm going right. you know, to drink numb or it. whatever. I'll numb it, numb it, escape from it, change how I'm feeling by and doing this. And the uncomfortableness this. is actually right. a message. It's yeah. trying to tell you you're off base somehow. And the idea is to, yeah, to get used to listening and allowing it to be there. Okay. It's just a fire alarm. It's a smoke alarm going off in the kitchen. Don't ignore it and because it's trying to tell you something, but you can go over to and go, oh, that's a smoke alarm. Okay, I hear you. All right. I'm going to turn you off and then I'm going to look at this fire and see what, you know. But the body's truth before the mind's lie. I'm a big one on that. Anything in my life that I've brought in and it, and all the really good things have been because my body has told me. It's been a yearning. It's been a seeking. It's been a, no, this is right. It doesn't matter what anybody w- will say. I mean, even with the coaching, when I went into my coaching, I was like, why do I have to do this? And I had to. But I learned at that point to listen to my body. I, I was listening to that. It's like a, It's like a whisper. It's not the ego that the judgment part of you that mm-hmm. tells you what you should be doing. It's not that. It's its a softer kind of seeking something. So that's the body's truth. And it's always the best truth. What about when the body is telling you, don't go on? What I'm talking about is stage fright. Stage fright, yeah. So many people have. Yeah. Do you have any oh, yeah. to impart? Well, it's, it's about reframing it. Because first of all, that panic, it's a vibration in your body. It's the same thing as excitement, too. I mean, it, it, it's the same thing as going on a roller coaster. Roller coaster, you know, and it's either you're going to do it, white knuckle it and scream and or just throw your hands up and try to go with it. But yeah, that's that's being connected to your breath and getting back into your body. Usually you you leave your body is when stage fright happens and you've, you've disconnected from your body. And as an actor, that's important to be inside your body. Because if you're in your head, that means you're not connected to your heart and your emotions and the truth of what it is you're feeling. So yeah, I say breathe. Just feel your feet on the ground and know that you're supposed to be scared and fearful, 
but just reframe it as this is the same thing as excitement as well. And usually that helps me get over the hump. I have to do some big time breathing deep down into my hips. Another acting exercise. Distract yourself with mindfulness. I'll I'll call it that way. Where am I? I literally, like, I'm sitting on a chair. That's just all I'm doing. (laughs) Let's just go there. Getting present. So for someone who has great stage fright, but is really interested in wanting to be an actor, would you tell them you'll get through it? You can yeah. work through it. Absolutely. You can find techniques. Absolutely. That you can overcome it and yes. pursue your passion. Absolutely. I believe that 100%. I just was speaking to a wonderful actor who's at the Walnut Theater in Philadelphia, accomplished actor, just accomplished. And he went to college for business and economics, and he had such, and he that's what his degree was in. And he had such huge stage fright that he went, ah, what am I going to do? So he started, he enrolled in acting classes to help him with the stage fright. To lear- so he would just learn those techniques. And he just became an actor. And that's what he did. <laughs> so, I guess acting helps with all of that. So, yes, it's the, you have to just go do and be. It's persistence. And allow yourself to be in the process, too. That's that's a biggie. So the, not, not the judgment of where I need to be. You can't be at where you, where you end up in, in the very beginning. And what I say about professional actors, I think the different huge difference between professional and amateur is that a professional actor can get to a place of calm quicker. <laughs> that's really like they have the tools. To get, to, the, to get out of that mindset and the chatter and the stuff that leads to all of that. And they can just drop down into their body and what they're doing and be very focused in a really calm manner and, and quicker. And amateur people just, it takes a long time. And sometimes you have to, you know, it has to be beat out of them until they get exhausted. And then suddenly they show up one day at rehearsal and they start doing really well because they're just, they stopped, they stopped the business, the mind chatter. I just think it's the length of time it takes. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you? Give us your your social media handles. Oh yeah. Oh well, I'm Instagram. I'm the Liz Kiefer, mm-hmm. which my daughter just laughs at me. <laughs> uh, um, I have a Liz the Kiefer. Liz Kiefer. The Liz Kiefer. Um, and then I have a Liz Kiefer acting page on Facebook and a Liz Kiefer coaching page on Facebook. But my website is LizKiefer.com, which you know, people can get in touch with me. That's, that's my coaching page. Thank you so much, Liz. This oh, has been really you, wonderful and enlightening. Well, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. To hear more and subscribe, visit our website, ProfessionalConfessionals.com. You can find Professional Confessionals on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.